That's 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen joining you here with Bobby Blanco, pushing all the right buttons behind the scenes. And Brendan, thanks so much for hopping on here. I'm in the Masson newsroom. Uh, Where are you right now? I am in uh, the comfort of my childhood home up here in Del Mar, New York. But but thanks for having me on anyway, Paul. Hey, I mean, last it's good to not say from my parents' basement, which is what I was doing (laughs) for a good amount of time. Um, We're back with our regular sponsor, Marymount. Uh, which is good because I, I couldn't answer any more questions. I know people were asking constantly, what was the new thing that was landing at Royal Farms on July 1st? I, I didn't have any inside info uh, into that. And we, I you know I felt like a fool up there because I was acting like I knew something. And I, th- to be honest, I didn't, know, I didn't have any inside info into that. Do you think it's a chicken thing, Brendan? I mean, I have no clue. All I know is that I'm incredibly intrigued. And, and I mean, I have the calendar circled. I, it, it is just all I've been looking I saw, forward to. I actually, on 83, driving home the other day, I saw a poster, a giant like billboard for something new is landing. And it had a, in the corner like a little Chicken Palooza 2020 thing. Ooh. So I'm guessing it has to do with chicken. But I don't know what other variations Royal Farms could have on chicken that they have not done already, to be honest. Uh but we'll see. I, I don't. I, I guess, guess they we'll don't see. do chicken nuggets. I mean, they, they do great chicken sandwiches, obviously. Um, w- well, I, I'm sure your phone has just been blowing up with people asking constant. you what you know. It's constant. about about what's coming to Royal Farms. Yeah. yeah. No. I mean, I think it, it, it is akin to the Popeyes chicken sandwich type level of of wow. intrigue. Um, that That's high praise. This. Uh, all right, Brendan. We got some stuff to talk about. We're not going to talk about any of the stuff. Currently going on at the major league level of baseball because, one, it's too depressing, and, two, I think probably by the time anyone listens to this, even though we are live on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook, if you're listening to it after the fact on an audio-only thing, probably circumstances will have dramatically changed. We'll get another three absurd statements from both sides, and it will all be irrelevant. So we're just, we're just not going to talk about it today, Brendan. You know? Yeah, I, that that's fair. I mean, it, stuff pretty much changes every day, and, and I think the best we can do at this point is just kind of cross our fingers and, and see what happens. Yeah, uh, it changes pretty much hourly. And honestly, it was it – was, they say no news is good news, but at this point, I, 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 yesterday – I felt that way for a long time, and then yesterday we didn't get any news, and that felt somehow worse uh, just because it felt like nothing was happening. Uh, so well, well, no news after the not great news is not the best. No news. Yeah, is that English? Did that make sense? No, no, no. It really made either. sense in my head. Uh, yeah. Speaking of English, I came up with a great title for this little uh, little ditty for this podcast: some cursed dad cursed stats. Uh, because we're going to talk about Heston Kerstad, give out some stats on him, uh, and we're going to look at the entire Orioles draft class, and then by the end of the podcast, we're going to give our Orioles. 2023 opening day lineups, um, which is a, a ridiculous amount of time behind, you know, ahead of the fact to try to predict something. But I figure I picked 2023 because 
Uh, one, I think that's the time when Adley Rutschman could make the opening day roster, not make his big league debut, but be on an opening day Orioles team. And two, that is the first year that Chris Davis will no longer be on the books. Well, he'll technically be on the books because his contract is is uh, backloaded and uh, uh, you know spread out over several years. But he will no longer need to be on the roster. So that's why I picked 2023. But we'll get to that at some point. Uh, all right. Do you want to get into uh, some draft talk here, Brendan? Oh, let's do it. All right. I'm let's, excited. let's start with Heston Kerstad because um, I was pretty shocked on the show when he was taken. I think most people were shocked when he was taken. In the week that has followed, I think um, I'll, I have kind of come to terms with it in a sense. I've, I've understood a little bit better, I think, the Orioles' thinking and Michael Elias' thinking in taking Heston Kerstad, but still, I mean, you can you can feel free to agree or disagree. I still wouldn't have done it. I mean, it's still, I think, the riskier move just because if you get it wrong on an Austin Martin, if Austin, you pick an Austin Martin and he does not turn out, at least you have the comfort of the masses. At least you, it doesn't look like an absurd pick in hindsight. You can say, well, he was the consensus top guy. With Kerstad, if he doesn't turn out, it's like he, he turns into a Matt Hobgood because you're looking at it like, who was that guy and why did they take him there when there were these other guys on the board? So that's why, I mean, I, I still wouldn't have done it. That doesn't mean it's the wrong decision by any stretch, but it, I still wouldn't have done it personally. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking the same thing. I mean, when you've got Austin Martin sitting there, who is, I mean, the top two guys between Torkelson and Martin were pretty much a 1A, 1B. And most people were thinking that those two would be the top two picks in the draft in whatever order. So Again, personally, I probably would have gone with Austin Martin. But remember back when Michael Elias took Carlos Correa, that was kind of a got a little cute with a pick at number one. Elias just liked Correa more than the other guys, and that turned out to be a great pick. And the more you dive into Kerstad, a lot of people are saying, well, you took the 10th best guy in the draft at number two. I don't know if that's necessarily fair. I know he was ranked around that 9 to 10 range, but the more you dive into him and his stats and possibly what he could have done in a 2020 season, I think maybe he could have shot himself up into that top four, top five range in terms of prospects. So maybe it's not as big of a reach as people are thinking that it is. Right. And with Correa, I mean, and, and Mike Elias said this reiterated this before the draft in a zoom conference call with reporters, Correa was taken, not the primary reason was he was 1-1 on their board. He was the best player on their board. And he also had the added benefit of costing a little bit less. And to me, I think that that had to play a factor here because I think, honestly, and this is just speculation, um, either Kerstad was the number one guy on the board left once Torkelson was taken for the Orioles, or he was on equal footing with an Austin Martin, maybe an Asa Lacey, maybe an Emerson Hancock, maybe somebody like that. I think Kerstad was in that tier to them, and they said, okay, well, this guy we can probably get a lot cheaper, so let's go with that. And it's not a, it's not a cheap factor. I use the word cheap, but it's to say they are going to save money here so that they can use the money later. So it's just kicking the can down the road is all it is. It's not, it's not like you're... Um, you know, they're, they're going cheap on this and they're never going to use that money. No, they're, they intend to use that money. It's just they're not using it there. And it, when you have those guys in that same tier and one of them costs a little bit less, you can get maybe a player and a half for one player. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, th- that definitely makes sense. I mean, if he's in that tier, it may, it, I mean, the Orioles did that. You look at, you know, guys like Kobe Mayo, Carter Baumler that they took later in the draft. Those were overslot guys. And that's the money that you saved by taking a guy like Heston Kerstad at number two instead of an Austin Martin, instead of even a Nick Gonzalez. Right. And if Kerstad is at that tier, it makes the most sense. And, and I mean, maybe the Orioles were just looking for that power bat. There's a lot of people who say that, you know, even though Austin Martin might have had the best contact bat, Heston Kerstad might have had the second best power bat in the draft behind Spencer, Spencer Torkelson. So maybe he's just in that tier and maybe they just go with the slightly cheaper guy because he has those advantages. Maybe that was the separation point. Exactly. All right, let's get some curse stats to try to understand why why maybe Michael Elias did have him in that tier, have him on the same level or right there with an Austin Martin. Um, and it, it starts with, you just mentioned it, his power. Um, he had 37 homers in his two-plus seasons uh, at Arkansas. He had 15 and 17 um, and then he jumped out to a great start in 2020. Um, I I also look at this as, you know, it, Austin Martin was never, he, he had never been graded as a plus power guy. Um, and I use Austin Martin just as an example, but, um, you know, Kerstad, I think they see that power being the one, the the tool that could get him to the major leagues. And it, and it wasn't just his power, especially you look at 2020, he recorded a hit in every single game that he played and 10 of the 16 games that he got a chance to play in 2020 were multi-hit games. So not only were the power numbers there, but he was also hitting 448. And you've got to assume that those numbers probably aren't going to continue to be that high, especially in the SEC. You don't, you know, you're not assuming he's going to bat 450 for the rest of the year, but even if he's batting somewhere, if it dips down into like 370, 375, those are fantastic numbers, especially in the SEC. So it's not just the power. The contact bat is there as well. He's hitting for singles, he's hitting for doubles, and he's hitting for home runs. Yeah, he was second in homers behind just J.J. Bladé in 2019 in all of the SEC. So he was, by all, not just the best left-handed power hitter, um, he, in 2019, was the second best power hitter to a guy that was taken in the top five uh, in that year's draft, and that was the last time we got a full season of him. Um the, the problem has been, and this was the knock on him on draft night that we heard, was strikeouts. He was 10th in the ACC, or in the SEC rather with 65 strikeouts. That continued just a little bit into 2020 as well. But he had six homers in that shortened uh, season in 2020. That was tied for third in the SEC. He was second in the SEC in average with that 448 average you mentioned, Brendan. First in hits with 30 uh, and tied for first in slugging with 791. So... I think another factor for Heston Kerstad being taken there was Michael Elias was banking on Kerstad having a type of year that if the, he had had the full season, he would put himself in the conversation to be the number one guy taken, not just number two. Right, and you mentioned that strikeout rate. I mean, throughout his college career, he had a 19% strikeout rate compared to only an 8% walk rate, which is not Great. It's bad. <laughs> um, yeah, it's bad. Um, but you look at the 2020 season, he had nine strikeouts and seven walks. So that ratio is starting to go in the right direction. But I think with Kerstad, too, the things that he needs to improve on are coachable. And I think that's really important. It's much harder to teach power. It's much harder to t- teach quick hands. It's harder to teach the just natural ability that Kerstad has. But when you can teach as you go throughout the minor leagues, 
is pitch recognition, is plate discipline, things like that. So he's got coachable areas to improve upon. And I think if you're Michael Elias, you're looking at him as a kid who's only going to go up. And I know that Austin Martin obviously had a much higher batting average, even though, um, you know, Heston Kerstad had a 343 for his career. I mean, Martin finished his Vanderbilt career with a 368 average. And as a sophomore on that national championship team, he hit 392. But also, he was hitting in front of J.J. Blade, who was the SEC's, probably the SEC's premier hitter um, in 2019. A- again, a guy that led the SEC in homers and was, um, you know, uh, taken in the top five in last year's draft. So, look, I- I'm not to say that he, he d- wasn't an outstanding hitter. I mean, he-, he probably just saw a lot more pitches to hit than maybe Heston Kerstad did. Uh, Arkansas was still a good team, but Vanderbilt was the best team in the country. They won the national championship, and J.J. Blade, the best hitter on the best team in the country, was hitting right behind Austin Martin. You still have to do something with the pitches that you get, but I think there is a chance that maybe that 392 average was just a little bit bloated given who uh, Martin was hitting ahead of and and how loaded that Vanderbilt lineup was in 2019. And not to keep harping on Martin, but I think a lot of Orioles fans are justifiably asking the question, you know, why not Martin? And I think uh, something that's important to point out too with Martin is that there were a lot of questions about him defensively as well. You know, Kerstad coming in is probably going to be a slightly above average corner outfielder defensively, which isn't the most valuable position on the diamond, but you know, it's still a valuable position. It's still a corner outfield position. When you look at Austin Martin, You know, there were a lot of people saying that he could be potentially a third baseman, but he had some questions about his arm. So you're thinking that possibly he might move over to second base. And second base all of a sudden becomes the least valuable position that you can draft. I mean, statistically, by major league teams, second basemen are the least drafted first-round selections ever. So if if you see Austin Martin as a second baseman, all of a sudden his value dips way down. There was one second baseman, I believe, drafted in the first year, first dra- uh, first round, excuse me, of this year's draft, and it was Mississippi State's Justin Foscue. Yeah. But, you know, with Austin Martin, if you see him as a second baseman, maybe he's not at that top tier anymore. Maybe Kerstad gives you more value defensively. Well, and maybe, you know, there is kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type thing. You know, right. Martin's versatility was... Uh, one of his best attributes, I think, by draft experts coming out. But if he can't play any one of those positions at a high level, just because he can play a passable or slightly below average center field shortstop, he was actually uh, uh, announced as a shortstop when he was drafted, third base, Hmm. second base, might be more valuable to have a guy in a corner outfield who is a potential gold glove winner um, or, or, you know, like a guy that you know is going to be solid above average at that job as opposed to a guy who's versatile, but like, it, you know, versatility doesn't help if you aren't premier at any one of those positions sometimes. Sometimes it's great if you're coming off the bench and you just need to be able to play wherever they throw you. But, you know, maybe the, the having somebody at a less valuable position, but somebody that you know is going to be solid defensively um, is more advantageous in some scenarios. And speaking of his defense, because... On draft night, that was something that was mentioned by Michael Eyes to be improved. In right field, he committed seven errors as a freshman. Heston Kerstad did. 
Um, and he cut that number down to two as a sophomore, and then in the shortened 2020 season did not commit an error, which, you know, errors is not the only way to judge a fielder by any stretch. We're just going with what we have because there aren't too many stats that are readily available for college guys. But um, clearly it was something that he worked on and something he improved at, and Michael Elias believes that he is going to be uh, an above-average right fielder. Uh, uh, He's not a, a negative defensively at this point. And right, I'll make the same point that I made about, you know, his plate recognition as well. He's got the coachable attributes defensively. I mean, you can't teach the athleticism. You can't teach the instincts. But when you what you can teach is the positioning is the glove skills, things like that. So he's only going to get better defensively, in my opinion. All right, let's move on to Jordan Westberg, who was taken with the number 30 pick. Talked to him yesterday on Mass and All Access. Smart kid, really nice kid, down to earth. Uh, Shortstop at Mississippi State. This one was, I would say, almost as surprising when it happened uh, because we we had figured on draft night, all right, they go with Heston Kerstad, that means they're saving money for later. And then they didn't use that money in theory. Now, these guys haven't yet signed. Those top two guys haven't yet signed. But in theory, they could have gone way over slot on a high school guy like a Jared Kelly that was viewed as maybe the second or third best high school pitcher in that draft class, and instead they go with a college infielder. So I think that that pick was almost as surprising. But the thinking is again, they didn't weren't they must not have been crazy about a Jared Kelly or some of those other prep pitchers. So save the money now, use it later on in the draft, which is what they did with their last two high schoolers. Listen, all I'm going to say is is in your life, try to find somebody who loves you the way Mike Elias loves good college bats. I mean, Jordan Westberg is a good college bat. He's good. He's athletic. He hit 317 at the start of 2020 with two home runs, 11 RBIs. He's not a huge power guy, but he has a lot of upside. He has a higher ceiling. A lot of scouts said that he had a higher ceiling than Justin Foscue, who was drafted 14th overall by the Rangers on the, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, especially. So, you know, he's big, he's athletic. He has the potential to possibly move over to third base as well. And although it was a little bit of a surprising pick for the Orioles, I think it was still a solid pick. Yeah. SEC ranks in 2019 for Jordan Westberg seventh in doubles. So he was a doubles guy. Didn't hit a whole lot of home runs. Didn't it? Didn't uh, crack double digits in terms of home runs, but was tied for seventh in RBIs with 61. Um, but again, the same issue that we saw with Heston Kerstad, strikeouts were an issue for Jordan Westberg. 69 strikeouts, seventh in the SEC in 2019 for Westberg. Um, so the the strikeouts being another issue, clearly this is something I guess Michael Ice just doesn't care that much about. But typically when you have a guy that, that racks up that many strikeouts, my concern is he didn't hit for a whole lot of power. Right, and you know... The way the game is trending right now as well, I think strikeouts are becoming you know less of a bad thing than yeah. they were before. But like you said, Westberg did have 15 strikeouts in just the 16 games played to start the 2020 season. So that's certainly something that he's going to have to work on as he goes through the minor leagues. Yeah. But, you know, you look at him, he's still got, you know, he's got good pop. I mean, he tied a college World Series record with seven RBIs in a single game as a freshman. You know, he's got the good hitting ability. It's just got to get more consistent. Yeah, it is kind of interesting, too, because Kerstad did not hit a whole lot of doubles, hit a lot of homers, and Westberg is the flip of that. Hit a lot, you know, had doubles power, but did not hit a whole lot of home runs in college. And then defensively, um, 
you know, he said he wants to stick at shortstop. We'll see. You know, most of the college shortstops that get drafted don't end up at shortstop eventually just because it's such a ridiculously hard position to play. And if you can play shortstop the college level at a solid uh, level, you can be moved to other positions. I think at this point, you know, we'll have to see once he gets into pro ball, but I think there's a chance he sticks at shortstop. I, I can't really see too many negatives. It seems like he has the arm from what we've read about from scouts, and it seems like he has the range uh, and the speed to play shortstop. So I, I I think he can stick at that position until he convinces people he can't. Right. I, I think he has a good chance to stay at shortstop. I think what a lot of people are thinking is that because he's 6'3", if he adds some strength onto that frame, then maybe his speed goes down a little bit, and that's a good size to play third base. And you know, you're never going to be angry with a big, athletic third baseman. So maybe if he, you know, adds strength as he goes, he might have to move over. But for right now, I mean, he's got the athleticism, he's got the arm strength, like like you said. So he could stick at shortstop. All right, let's get into the later picks. Number thirty-nine again. Jared Kelly is sitting on the board. Another high school prep opportunity here and the Orioles again do not go with an overslot pick here they go with Tulane outfielder Hudson Haskin uh I think this one was a little bit frustrating from (laughs) your perspective Brendan because you did all these work this work on these high school guys and we just it, it felt like that was the time to strike you know you didn't you went under slot one probably you went under slot two probably yeah still have all these guys on the board and yet they didn't take advantage of an overslot guy there yeah, Jared Kelly was there. I believe Cole Wilcox was there as well, the pitcher out of Georgia. So a lot of people were thinking, all right, like you said, you save that money. This is where you spend it. And Haskin, they go again, presumably under slot. I mean, this is a guy who was the number 74 prospect, according to MLB Top 150. And the Orioles take him at 39. So clearly the strategy was to go a little bit over slot in the fourth and fifth rounds. And this one was certainly surprising. Yeah, um, that is not, again, to say that Hudson Haskin is not going to be a good player. He did have solid stats uh, at Tulane, 363 average in 73 collegiate games. He only played one full year at Tulane, uh, so he was draft eligible because of his age. He's 21 years old. Uh, He had 11 homers, 19 doubles, four triples, an OPS over one. And then he played in the summer league, and he hit 306, but he went from five stolen bases in his full year at Tulane, to 17 stolen bases in the summer league. And on draft night, I remember hearing Jim Callis say this could be a 2020 guy. They must be banking on those 17 stolen bases being a legit thing and that his speed being an actual plus skill. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know if I see the 2020 projection because, I mean, you look at his college stats, he has 11 home runs in his career. He's a good hitter. He hit 363 over his college career, but with 25 doubles and five triples, that's kind of where you're looking for the value with those 99 hits in his 73 career games. I don't really see as much of the value when you look at his power numbers. He's only got 11 home runs in 73 games. That doesn't yeah. seem to project to be a 2020 guy at the next level. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe maybe the Orioles are just thinking that his power is going to improve as he goes. It did get better throughout his college career. So, again, maybe that's just something that you're extrapolating to when he gets into the minors. But I don't know. Personally, I didn't really see the 20 home run number projection, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Hopefully I am. <laughs> and and uh, he also, in terms of defense, 
defensive ability. He was not rated as an elite defender, but he did play center field split time between center and right um, at Tulane and played all pretty much all of his games in 2020 in center and did not commit a single error in college, uh, which could be some favorable scoring in, in college. I don't know. But, um, uh, you know, they think obviously he must be a solid uh, type defender, and they think that the bat can play. He does have a weird swing. I don't know if you've seen it. it it's uh, he holds, so he's from the right side, and his left foot is like off the ground for like the entire swing. But it's not a huge leg kick. Uh, the whole thing just kind of looks like it takes a lot of effort, um, and it, it feels like the bat is kind of heavy. It's not like a, a, a nice, easy swing, uh, which is what I think kind of Kerstad has. Um, but who knows? We'll see if they they try to change his swing or if he, he keeps it as is. Um, all right, later guys in that were taken, three more guys. Anthony Servideo out of Ole Miss. Uh, shortstop taken 74th overall. Um, to me, I see him as a sort of Caden Grenier type player in that he yeah. is a glove first player uh, that has a little bit of speed. I think Servideo's speed is better than Caden Grenier, who was, of course, taken in the second round a couple years ago. But, uh, and also, I think his bat has a higher ceiling, maybe, than a Caden Grenier. Yeah, Servideo is interesting because he looked like a completely different player in 2020 than he was before. I mean, he did not have a fantastic 2019 season. And then he goes to the summer in the Cape Cod League and hits 149. Brutal. That's, that's not exactly a top 75 pick in the MLB draft, but then... He goes into the 2020 season. He hits 390 with five home runs, which is more than half of his collegiate career total of nine, 17 RBIs. He also had nine stolen bases and 24 walks in 17 games. So this is a dude who absolutely shot up draft boards. And like I said, I mean, he's got fantastic speed on the bases and he's really good defensively. Uh, He wasn't ranked very high on the top 150. He was at 110. But I think, again, kind of a trend that we've seen with Mike Elias in the first few rounds of the draft is that you believe that the numbers that you see in 2020 in the shortened early 2020 season are going to translate to good numbers down the road. And I think that's what you're banking on here with Servideo. You're banking that he's the player that he's proved himself and will hopefully proved himself to be in 2020 and not the guy who struggled before this season. Right. I mean, if you throw out, and even if you throw out, I think, his 2020 numbers in addition to his summer numbers, like if they had just ended the 2019 season, I think he would still be in this range because his draft stock, I think, went way down in the summer league, in Cape Cod League, and then way back up um, to start 2020. So I think that they're, you know, even if you don't buy the 2020 success, I think that his speed and his defense make him worth that pick at that spot. All right, uh, closing out the draft class, couple high school kids Third baseman, Kobe Mayo. This is where the Orioles start going over slot. Um, Kobe Mayo's a big dude for a third baseman, 6'4", um, but he is 215. He's a big guy. He has the prototypical hitting skills. At, the, at this point, with a high school kid, you're just looking for how does his swing look? Does he look like he can play the part um, just because these guys are so young? Um, and I think Kobe Mayo fits that, and he's already reportedly agreed to a deal in the $1.7, $1.75 million range, which would be over slot. So I think that, you know, this was a perfect time now, finally. Might as well shoot for the stars. You've already gone under slot, apparently, with several of your first picks. Just go way over slot on a high school prep guy. 
And I think if everything goes well with Kobe Mayo, he reminds me a little bit of an Austin Riley of the Braves. He's an oversized third baseman. He's not fantastic defensively. He kind of jumps between third base, first base, and plays the corner outfield positions a little bit. But he's just got a fantastic raw power bat, has a lot of swing and miss in his game right now. But Mayo is hitting 455 to start the 2020 season. So we're hoping that that bat projects. I don't know if he's going to be you know, an above average defensive third baseman at any point but he's a solid power bat and you're hoping that that continues and then right-handed pitcher Carter Baumler was taken with the final pick by the Orioles sixth pick uh, by the Orioles to close out their draft pick he's 6'2 195 um, another overslot guy I think here he, he again checks the boxes he's got a fastball that tops out at 93 which for an 18 year old is pretty solid at that point um, he's super athletic, two-sport athlete, so they're hoping that some of that can kind of translate. And he, he seems to be worth it. Again, way a ways away from the major league, still very young, um, but he seems to be to fit the, the tools that they are looking for. Right, and, and just like you were saying with Kobe Mayo, he's got the things that you can coach. Baumler has the nice, clean delivery. He has a solid arm action, so you're hoping that if he's got that solid foundation, you can coach him up. All right, Brendan, pretty solid draft class. We'll see. Who knows where these kids are going to be in several months. Um, it would be nice. I was talking to Steve Molesky on draft night, and they were talking about a, a fall class, a fall, uh, like an Arizona Fall League type thing with more players and some of the better prospects. Um, that would be nice so that we could try to get to see some of these guys. But um, for now, we're, they're just kind of on ice, um, and we just wait to see when they sign, and then hopefully they can, they can get their pro career started. Right. Any way they can get reps in at this yeah. point. I mean, that's one of the really underrated things that's, you know, kind of being brushed aside about this 2020 season is all of the minor league guys. I mean, talk about a guy like Abby Rutschman, the number one overall pick last year. He's missing out on a lot of reps that he would be getting in the minor league system right now. And that's going to be really valuable in terms of we're about to talk about a you know, potential 2023 lineup. If his development gets you know pushed back at all because of this 2020 season, it probably will. Talking about a lot of minor league guys that just won't have as many reps as they normally would have had. Brendan, that was a great tease. 2023 Orioles. That's lineup. right. Uh, why don't you start us off uh, with your 2023 Orioles lineup with the one we made the one rule that you can add one free agent and you can add one guy via trade. Neither of us added a guy via trade just because. I added that rule and then realized how ridiculously hard it is to predict a trade that is going to happen in three years. Uh, but we did add a free agent to each of our lineups. So why don't you start us off, Brendan? All right. So batting leadoff and playing center field, I have Austin Hayes. Batting second and catching, Adley Rutschman. Batting third <laughs> and playing right field, Heston Kerstad. Okay. Uh, batting fourth and playing first base, we've got Trey Mancini. Okay. Batting fifth and DHing Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, batting sixth and playing left field, Yusniel Diaz. Uh, and here's my here's my free agent. Uh, batting seventh and playing shortstop, I've got Tim Anderson. Right. Really? Batting, when is he? Yeah. When is he going to be a free agent? I think he's going to be a free agent after the 2022 season. Okay. Yeah. Uh, batting eighth and playing third base, I've got Jordan Westberg sliding over. Uh, and batting ninth and playing second, I've got Hanser Alberto. Hanser Alberto makes it to the 2023 Hanser Orioles roster. Wow. Hanser Alberto forever. Uh, and the fact that Trey is still on that team, I had him too in here. Um, 
Chris Davis will, at that point, probably be off the team. Uh, would be nice. I mean, would be nice to see him make it all the way there. Um, why? So, I think, I agree with you. I think Adley is, like, the ideal second hitter in that scenario um, with the lineup that you just gave. Uh, and you had Kerstad batting third, correct? Yep. Okay. Um, Mountcastle DHing. Yeah, and- I have Mountcastle DHing. I think that could probably flip between him, Trey, and maybe Kerstad, depending okay. on. I mean, a lot of those guys can switch between right field, first base. Yeah, I, I also think it's interesting too because I have, I also have Yosniel Diaz in left, but I think if 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 I'm being like that one was the the least comfortable I felt with. Um, just mm. because like, I still think he has all the tools to make it. And I still think he has a potential to be an everyday guy, but we just, at this point, like every, and it, it's another guy who's going to really hurt because of the lack of, of baseball being played at the minor league level. Like right. every, like the fact that 2019 went by and we did not see Yosniel Diaz move up at all. And we didn't see him put up crazy numbers at Bowie and we didn't see him stay healthy for a full year. And he got another year older is just concerning. Um, So I, 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 I have him in here because I think he's the second best outfield prospect right now or third best, I guess, behind Kerstad behind Hayes. I think he probably of that outfield group, because you could throw in a Ryan McKenna at this point, you might be able to throw in a Hudson Haskin, Um, maybe a Kyle Stowers as well. Yeah. Kyle Stowers. Um, but I, and, and even like guys that are closer, like a Cedric Mullins or a DJ Stewart, I still think Yosniel Diaz is like the third best outfield prospect currently in their system. Um, but I don't think it's, you know, by a, a huge margin. So I could, yeah, see I that. would agree. Yeah. That's, that's why I have him in left for now. But I think, like you said, I think there's a few guys that could possibly rotate into that spot. I think Diaz just might have the best chance to stick as an everyday guy, because even though he hasn't had a ton of success in the minors up to this point, I think he has the most tools out of yeah. those guys that we were mentioning. So I, I, I think he has a shot and that's why I have him there. I agree. All right. My lineup is, is pretty similar starting out center field lead off Austin Hayes. Uh, my free agent edition bat second, that would be shortstop Trevor story coming over from Ooh. the Colorado Rockies which, uh, look, the Rockies signed Nolan Arenado to a huge deal and then talk about trading him. So I'm not convinced, as good as story is, I'm not convinced that he or anybody else is, has long-term futures set in Colorado. Um, it would be a huge get. He'd be in his mid-30s. Uh, right. But I think that that's the kind of deal that they could look to get done. Like, I, I think they, if this, it's so difficult now with no minor league season, but I think their hope was... You know, you're you're bad again in 2020. You're bad again in 2021. 2022 is when you show some signs of promise. Um, you know, think of the first half season that Buck Showalter had where, you're like, you can tell that something is building here and that there's some momentum and that they have some guys that are graduating from the minor leagues. Maybe they don't have a winning record or finish 500, but they're, they're, they clearly have some promise enough to convince a free agent to come there. Maybe they have to overpay for him a little bit you get like a veteran guy to go with the Trey Mancini to kind of like ground that team. Um, so I saw stories, that kind of guy. Did, did you see Anderson in that, in that role as well? 
Yeah. So my thing with going with Anderson versus a guy like Trevor Story, I mean, look at Story. He's made the all-star team the past two seasons. He's been top 12 in MVP voting. Yeah, he's good. The last two he's seasons. <laughs> he's won the silver slugger the last two seasons. He's very good. This is optimistic, I think, Brendan. I think he's going to command a huge contract. And that was my I, thinking going into 2023. But, I, I, there's a few guys that I was looking at with Trevor Story. You've got like Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Xander Bogarts, and Tim Anderson hear me out here i think he is going to be tough to lure away from chicago because chicago absolutely loves tim anderson but the dude led the majors in batting average last year he didn't even make the all-star game i don't think he's going to command as big of a contract as somebody like story Baez, bryant or bogarts would and i think he would complement you know the power guys well i think you've got power guys like in this Again, this potential 2023 lineup, I've got Kerstad, Mancini, Mountcastle, and those are three big power guys. And Trevor Story is also a huge power guy. Hit 35 home runs last year, hit 37 the year before, and he strikes out a ton. 174 strikeouts this year, 168 last year. Led the league in strikeouts the year before with 191. So I think the Orioles might be better suited to go for a guy who's a little less expensive it's for a higher average, doesn't strike out as much as a Trevor story. So I'm just bodying your free. Agent wow. Wow. Yeah. I, I also am going to throw out the caveat that this could be a trade because maybe oh. they, they do a Nolan Arenado type thing. They sign him to a huge extension and then try to trade him because they all of a sudden were like, wait, how much money did we just give this guy? We can't afford that guy. We got to trade him and eat a significant amount of money. And maybe that's, maybe that's a possibility. Also, you know the home run numbers are going to go down, uh, and I think that I think you're maybe overestimating Trevor Story's what like he might be thirty already. Um, he's close Trevor to Trevor Story is. I don't think Trevor Story is thirty already. This is I mean, bad podcasting. I don't even machine. remember. I think he's like he's twenty seven. Yeah, he's twenty seven. He's okay. not thirty yet. Okay, he's going to hit Blanco. thirty by the time he goes into free agency. Okay, and yeah, I think Tim so, Anderson will as well. And how many guys have we seen command huge contracts when they're thirty? Not many. A few, a few, but Enough. not many. And in three years, that trend is going to be even greater. So anyway, Trevor Story is in my lineup, Brendan. Uh, Anthony Rendon is thirty, by the way. He just got a massive contract. He did. Not many. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying it doesn't happen often. Brendan. Well, Trevor Story well. bats second in my Orioles 2023 lineup. Adley Rutschman bats third. Uh, Heston Kerstad bats cleanup because I think that uh, okay. I think as he goes on, I think that contact rate might decline. I think he becomes more of an all or nothing guy, especially if he kicks, if he keeps that leg kick, uh, unless he kicks that leg kick. And then Ryan Mountcastle is my uh, five hole hitter, DHing. Uh, Trey Mancini, I see later on in his career, better later in the lineup. He is at first base for me. Uh, and then I got Yusniel Diaz and left. Again, don't feel comfortable with it. Uh, and then I have Gunnar Henderson making it up to the big leagues. Long way to go, I know. But sliding yeah. from shortstop over to third base, I think that was that was a possibility when they drafted him. Um, I could see him being a solid third baseman over there. Hit tools working. And then Ryland Bannon is my Ooh. second baseman. Uh, okay. Because again, you put Hanser Alberto there. I think just because of lack of prospects at that spot, Bannon yep. is the best of the bunch at this point. I don't think he's going to be an everyday major leaguer. I think he's going to be a utility guy off the bench. But he is the best that I got right now. 
Well, there's also a guy like Adam Hall that I have on my bench as well. I yeah. have Bannon and Hall kind of chilling there. Cedric Mullins, same thing. So I think there could be a few guys that will maybe play that second, third base spot. I didn't have Gunnar Henderson because I think potentially if we're, again, looking way ahead to the 2023 season, Personally, I think Henderson could be a late season call up in the 2023 season. Yeah. But if all things go well, then maybe he cracks that opening day lineup. But that's why I have Westberg there for now, because I think Westberg has a chance to climb yeah. through the ranks a little bit quicker. It also is crazy just how young Gunnar Henderson is. I mean, right. I think he was 17 on draft day, like just turned mm-hmm. 18 a couple months ago. So he is he is a ways away. I think he would have gotten a chance at uh, at Delmarva by season's end, but now who knows? Now nobody knows. Um, but all right. Well, I think next week we should do our 2023 rotation and bullpen mm. with the same rules. Add one, one free, free agent. agent. Yeah. And I, I can't I can't come up with a trade for a bullpen guy. Trades so, make no sense. Yeah. All right. Well, Brendan, thanks for hopping on here uh, on the Mass and All Access podcast. Your Twitter handle is at Brendan Morty. That is it. So you don't have a Y in your actual name. You just decided to. I don't. My name is just a little too long for Twitter. Twitter doesn't like it. So. Okay. Um, Yeah. Too many E's in that name. I will say. Too many E's. Yeah. I'm at Paul Mancano, of course, on Twitter. Thanks to Bobby Blanco behind the scenes for running this podcast and Hannah Broder. As always, we appreciate you tuning in to the Mass and All Access podcast, which is brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. We will be back next week. Paul Mancano, he's Brendan Mortensen. We'll see you later.